All right, let's turn to Nehemiah 4. I've been doing this series, and I'm closing this series on Ruth. Why is that funny? You guys want me? Oh, I said Nehemiah. Ruth. It's been a long week for me. All right, Ruth. Can you go to that passage I put up? It says, Ruth 4, 1 to 6. I'm just going to read these six chapters. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And So who is this Redeemer? We thought Boaz was the Redeemer. He is ultimately going to be the Redeemer. But Boaz says, before I marry you, there's actually somebody else in line who has the right to redeem you. Though I can do it, he has the first dibs. So we need to ask him first. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Everybody say friend. It's a very important word in the Hebrew. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and the presence of the elders of my people. So what's happening here is that apparently Elimelech, Naomi's husband, before he left to Moab, and out of desperation during the famine, most likely sold his property to somebody outside the family line. And so when they came back, according to Levitical law, Naomi can buy that land back. It's her right. It's not like the other person owns it outright. If Naomi can afford it, she can buy that land back. It's almost a rental situation unless Naomi has absolutely no way of re recovering that land. So what's happening here is now that things are looking up. Well, there might be people who want to marry Ruth. Oh, interesting. Oh, we got maybe people who want to help us out. And so Boaz is recognizing, oh, there's some land that Naomi has that her husband sold. Now we have the right to buy it back. That land is probably worth something. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. This was a legal contract. There were witnesses and elders there to witness this transaction. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. So there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. He's saying, if you don't do it, then I can do it. Let me do it. If you don't want to do it, I'll do it. But you got first tips. Are you going to do it? After he said... The guy says, oh, I will redeem it. Oh, no, the little love story ends right here. What's going to happen? Oh, my gosh. It's like, it's like a drama. They can make a movie out of this. Right, right at the end, Boaz and Ruth probably going to walk out into the sunset. I was at a wedding last week. It's like they're walking out. They're going to get married. Happy, happy, happy. Drink some wine. It's going to be all good. All of a sudden, Boaz is like, oh, wait a minute. Stop the music. There's another guy. I hope he doesn't say yes. I hope he says no because I want to marry you. But then this guy, look what he says. I'll do it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, he said, check it. You got to read the fine print like a good lawyer. He said, Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. He said, yes. And then he said, oh, wait a minute, there's a catch. I got to marry Ruth. And then Ruth, well, 
chances are she's not going to have a child because she hasn't had a child for 10 years. But what if, if she has that child, then he has the right to take some of that land as inheritance. Oh, no. Then it will be taken away from my children as well. I don't know if I want, I want that. To, I don't want to divide up the land with another child. What if Ruth has more than one child? You guys hear what I'm saying? Take my right of redemption to yourself or I cannot redeem it. He says, okay, fine. I don't want this. This is too much. He calculated the situation. At the beginning, he's like, that sounds like a good deal. Let me take that land. And then after he figured out what really, what really was the situation, what really, what it entailed, he began to understand, oh, there's a sacrifice I got to make. It's not just a free land. I just have to pay land. Oh, I get a good deal out of this. Oh, there's a, there's a, pay, there's a price I need to pay for this. Right? Everybody say, what's his name? Can you go back to the first slide? What's that title say? Mr. So-and-so. That's actually the Hebrew. It says friend. I don't know why the Bible translates it like that, friend. Uh, it, could be trans- it could be like the third translation in line of whatever is the most accurate. And then there's the third. It could be a friend. But really, technically, the first definition and the real understanding of this word friend in the Hebrew is Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Nobody. And the writers of Ruth put it there on purpose. What's his name? What's his name again? Have you ever had that happen to you? What's your name again? How does it feel when somebody comes up to you and like, what's your name again? How do you feel? Oh, Steve. I've only met you ten times. I used to do that in my old church. Many, there's a lot of people, so I usually don't even try. And after a while, I just said, hey, how are you? Because I'm not good with names. I just say, how you doing? And I get some, I just wait and talk and just talk, talk, talk until somebody comes and he goes, hey, John. Hey, hey, John, how are you? That was my trick every time. I just pretended like I knew. And I just say, hey, how are you? How was your day? Like, just because I'm not good with names. But there was one person that came. I somehow, in a newcomer's luncheon, I remembered his name for some reason. And it was not even like a, like a special weird name like Leroy or something, like an Asian guy named Tyrone or like something like that. It was just, his name was probably like James or John. And somehow I remembered. And a month later, he came back because sometimes people visit once a month. I bit, Right? I saw him, and I said, hey, James. And he's like, you remembered my name. And he came back to church every week because of that one thing. He's like, you remembered my, out of all these people, you met me one time, you remember my name. I'm like, that was a fluke. It must have been the Lord <laughs> to bring you to the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm so bad with names. I just, that's what I thought in my mind. What's in a name? Name is so important, amen. It makes if somebody forgets your name, it means that you made no discernible impression in their life. It means that you made, you're kind of like a nobody. Like, I don't even remember you. You're insignificant. How many of you guys know we're all significant? Amen. You guys should remember each other's names. Do a story in your mind somehow. Remember. I mean, it's easy to remember a king's name. His name is King. How, how do you forget a na- guy whose name is King? What's your name? King. Okay, never forget that. He's king. He's like, you should wear a crown on your head wherever you go. King, he made, it means there's no discernible impression. The word 
for friend is peloni alomai. Actually, in the Hebrew, it could mean so-and-so. It's actually a play on words. It actually it just it means nonsense. It means nothing. You could just make it up. That's what it means, this word. It could mean hocus-pocus, heebie-jeebies, blah, blah, blah. When I went to Brazil, I just made up Brazilian words because I love Portuguese. And I was talking to my friend and like, oh, obrigado, hola, hola, boa noite. And then those are some things. Bon dia. I was just saying some of these things. And then I'm like, I think it's Terry's father's here. That's why I'm speaking <laughs> Brazil, Portuguese. And then after a while, I had nothing else to say. Uno, dos, tres, quatro, cinco. And then I didn't know what else to say. So I would just make up words. Abrigaja, bash. Abrigaja. Sim, now. Psyabrash, bish. Mois fogo, bash, bash, bish. And then people would be like, what are you saying? I'm just making it up. That's what it means. His name means made up, meaningless. No meaning, no depth behind it. There's no purpose in this name. It's just a made-up name, Mr. So-and-so. It could be anything. It's actually in 1 Samuel 21, 2, has the same thing. I, have a, I made an appointment with you, this young man, at a such and such place. It's a such and such. There's not even, you know, there's a place that's so insignificant, there's not even a name for it. It's a place of insignificance. It's this, like, hey, you. That's what it means. He's saying, Boaz is saying, hey, you. No name. Now, he could have had a name. His name could have been famous throughout generations if he said yes. Is somebody listening to what I'm saying? It wouldn't have been Boaz. It would have been his name. It's not, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be Boaz and Ruth. It would have been whatever his name is and Ruth. Because he had the right. He got the first steps. He had the opportunity to change the history of mankind. Because Jesus Christ came through Ruth. He just didn't see it. All he saw was the cost. He didn't see what was ahead? He didn't see the benefits. He saw the sacrifice. It's amazing that God would allow the destiny of humanity and the birth of Jesus Christ, his son, to come through this guy. He gave this guy an opportunity. Everyone is like biting their nails. Will this guy do it? What will he do? I think it's written there for our lesson. It's there, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. No-Name, is there for our benefit. That although the macro purposes of God will be accomplished, the micro purposes for your life intertwined in the tapestry of God's micro, macro purpose is dependent on your yes. I don't care if I'm famous, social media, Twitter, TikTok, whatever you guys do. I don't care if I'm famous on that. It really, it's really kind of bothers me when I even try to post something to like acquire whatever. I, I, I just gave up. I just forget it. Because I'll rather be famous in heaven and hell. Two places I want to be famous. Heaven and hell. When I go to heaven, I want the cloud of witnesses to say, we know you, Steve. 
Well done. We have heard of your fame. What you have said yes to, the sacrifice you paid for the name of Jesus Christ is remembered throughout all eternity. Oh, shoot. That's awesome. And I want hell to remember. Steve is coming. Oh, shoot. Steve obeyed. Oh, my God. Steve is worshiping God in the hardest times. Steve obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. Oh, shoot. We're so tired of trying to tempt him. He never buckles. Don't mess with him. Steve is walking into the room. Steve went to Africa. Oh, shoot. Steve is in North Korea. Oh, shoot. Do you understand? He had the right man. He had the right. He just didn't do the right thing because he had such short-term thinking. Just do the right thing. Even if you can't see into the future, maybe your ability just to do what's right, what's honorable, what's godly, despite the cost, is going to land you in the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. It's just going to land, even if you don't know how this is all going to work out, in the moment, if you just know what's right, what's godly, what is truth, what God wants from you, no matter the cost, if you just persist, if you just do it. If this is what I'm supposed to do, yes, I'll marry her. I will do it. You just never know what's ahead. God sees those things. This guy is so calculating that Ruth hasn't had a child for 10 years. He could probably, like, there's a remote chance that she's going to give birth. Like just earthly thinking. Amen? She's already been married and no, child, no children. Now she's with Naomi. Chances are very minimal, very low. But he takes that little low chance and hyperinflates it in his life and he invites fear into his life. How many of you guys know we're like that? We like calculate probability. My, wife, my daughter's taking probability that that small little chance and then we hyperinflate it into our lives and make it, make, allow, invite the spirit of fear into our lives. Amen? What if that happened? What if that remote thing happens? What if that one thing, that, that one stupid, do you understand? You know, I used to be afraid of flying. You guys afraid of flying? No. You know, I wasn't afraid of flying when I was young. Because adventure, woo, let's go, let's go, let's go somewhere, woo, I just felt invincible. But as I started getting a family, children, and then my daughter, when she was young, when I would go to Africa, she would always, like, cry. <laughs> All night long, she's like, <laughs> I could hear her. I'm like, good night. And she'd be, like, in her bed, and then she would cover her, like, to her eyes, and she would just be dabbing her eye, like, to tears. <laughs> That's all I hear, like a little puppy. <laughs> and then when I drop her off at school, she will walk. She'll say, goodbye, Daddy. And she doesn't want to show me that she's crying. She'll just walk away, not turn around. And then maybe she'll just go like this. <laughs> and I can see the tear. I'm like, oh, gosh, how hard are you going to make it for me to go away? My wife is like, bye, honey. You know, she's like, she, in her heart, she's crying. But she doesn't want to make it hard for me. But my, daughter, my son's like, see you later, Dad. 
Have a good time. My, my daughter's like, so dramatic. It's <laughs> killing me. You're thinking about what if something happens. Who's going to take care of them? What if? You guys understand? The stakes get higher, right? The stakes get higher. I used to be afraid of flying. And then I remembered probability. I got a really high score in statistical math in university. And I remember the chances of you getting in an airplane crash is so low. What am I afraid of? And then on top of that, I got the Lord Jesus Christ. And on top of that, even if I die, I go to heaven. And God is their family, father. And God is going to take care. Do you understand? And then so when I remember coming back from Japan and the turbulence was so high, people were actually screaming, ah, ah. You know, the Jap- a lot of Japanese people, they, if the Japanese people scream, something is really wrong. <laughs> because they're so controlled. And then I could hear the Japanese lady beside me going, ah, ah, oh, oh. I was like, what's going on? It's turbulence. I could be flying up in the air. And then you know what? I slept. I was so tired. I'm like, whatever. It's all good. And people are like, aren't you worried? No, I'm good. The probability is very low. And I'm not going to worry about that small little thing that could possibly happen. I'm going to live my life on the normative. The normative is that God is good. That all things are going to work out for his purpose. That he's a good father to bless me. Amen? I don't think about the what if. I think about the who can. Who will. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of times we come to the Lord and then we we take his benefits and we don't understand that, yes, salvation is free. But the benefits of salvation, you got to work out. This message, like all things, God's just going to do it no matter what. He's going to do it no matter what. His will is going to be accomplished no matter what. But in your, through your life, that's a question mark. Can we just get an amen for that? Can, can, don't get mad at the trainer. I'm just trying to train you. This message might not be like the most warm and fuzzy, fuzzy message and like everything's going to be all good. Everything's going to be all good. But man, your destiny hinges on decision points. How you respond how you calculate. Are you going to calculate these little things that could go wrong or are you going to calculate that God, according to the word of God, is a good God and he's going to work out all things? Amen? He's just not willing to sacrifice anything, this guy. He's like, yeah, when it's a blessing, sure I'll do it, but when there's a cost, oh, I don't know about that. How many of you guys know many believers are like that? Yeah, going to heaven? Woo, yeah, woohoo, good to go to heaven. Oh, you know, but there's a cost to believing. Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I want to go to a church that tells me that it's all good. Everything's good. I'm going to heaven. I don't have to do anything. I'm not, that's the kind of church I want to go to. That's why those kind of churches attract many, many people. But I'm not here to attract people. I'm here to attract the presence of God. 
as we worship the Lord and preach the word of God as is. And I just want to tell you, I've been studying the word for 30 years in the Hebrew and the Greek. There's a cost. Can I see your name? Amen. There is a cost. Salvation is free, but to work out that salvation, there's a cost to obedience. There's a cost to obedience, cost to obeying God. There's a cost that you've got to pay. Well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to pay anything. I don't want to give my time, my resources, my money. I don't want to give worship when I'm going through bad things. There's a cost. I don't want to come on, man, I got to sleep. I gotta, there's a cost. There's a cost. The world, I just want to give you a little heads up. I've been examining and studying your generation. Though you are blessed abundantly with the plethora of technology, ideas, information, gifts, and talents, there is this malaise, this spirit where it says, if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. And I just wanted to let you know that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a cost. The gospel is not about you. It's not how you feel all the time. It's about what the Word says and doing the right thing, even if it costs you something. Even if you like, I don't feel like it. It's like, it doesn't matter what you feel like. It's what the Bible says. You just got to do it. And the more you do that, you get trained. You just, your sacrificial muscles get trained because when you sacrifice and they sacrifice greater things, there's greater giants that you can topple with that sacrifice. Can I hear an amen? You guys like this message? I feel like I'm training you at the gym. Come on, push it, push it. No, push it. I trained my friend working out. He wanted to enter this contest to be like, I don't know, I was gonna, he was going to win some money. He could like lose all this weight before and after pictures. He said, can you train me? And I said, don't ask me to train me if you're going to quit. He said, I'm not going to quit. You sure? Two hours every day in the morning, you come. He's like, two hours? Already you're questioning me. Already you're questioning me. He said, okay, oh, yeah, i got to do it. Don't ever say no. If I tell you something, don't say no. You just got to do. Don't question me. The moment you complain, I'm out. Because if I'm going to sacrifice, I expect you to sacrifice. Never complained. One more. I would help him. One more. Come on now. I would shout at him. Come on. Do it now. And then are we done? No. We're only halfway. We got to do squats. He's like pain, crying. I said, is this good? He's like, it's good. It's good. He's like crying. You know what happened? He won that contest. I think he was 50, right? He was 50, 49. He was jacked, no fat on his body. I was like looking at him going, did we do that? Oh, my gosh. He's like, took it off his shirt, look it. But that is, yeah, after a while, he just kept touching himself. That's... <laughs> but because he didn't have a trainer, he went back to his old self. How many guys know I'm not just your pastor or leader? I don't know what I am. All I am is that I am here to train you, discipline you. Give you the tools to rise above this generation so that you be the cream of the crop, that you reign in life.
to have some fortitude, resilience, and strength. <sighs> Amen. Hmm. So Can I go to this gen genealogy? Sorry. Can I go to the genealogy? Yeah, this one. So we've been talking about Ruth. I want to end it on a good note. Talking about Ruth, right? This whole four weeks. So there's Abraham, Judah, Perez, Boaz, then Ruth. Then Lot. You guys know who Lot is? Abraham and Lot. You guys probably learned that in Sunday school. Lot chose for himself Sodom. That's his fame. He chose Sodom. Abraham chose whatever Lot didn't choose. Do you guys know that passage? There were too many people, too many herds, and too. It's not enough for us. And then Abraham, who had the right to choose, he said, Lot, you choose. I'll just take the leftover. Lot sacrificed and said, hey. I mean, Abraham sacrificed to Lot and said, Lot, you take. I trust the Lord. And then Lot saw, and then he saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible says it was like the garden. How many of you guys know that we're always trying to create garden of Eden without God? That is the fallen nature of humanity. We're trying to create paradise without God, and it would never be paradise, and it would always be destroyed. He chose wrong. From him came Moab, enemies of Judah, came Ruth. Look at this, look at this family line. It's cursed. Can you guys see that? It's cursed. But Ruth and Boaz got married, and then Obed, Jesse, and David, and Jesus Christ. Can I just show you something? That line, their whole family line got changed because of Ruth. Ooh. Their whole family, generations, was going this way, and because of Ruth's decision, got changed. Isn't that powerful? It doesn't matter what your history is in your life, in your family. You've had divorce. You had financial troubles. You have, there's a spirit that has been entered into your family line that is there. And then if it's, there's a pattern of re repetition, if things are happening, there's more people getting divorced, more people, financial troubles. It's the same things are repeating in generations. You, mean, you know that. It's not the people. It's that there's a spirit using the people to wreak havoc on your family tree. But the good news, you can be Ruth. You can be Ruth and Boaz. What is the common denominator of their both? They sacrificed. Ruth sacrificed her well-being to follow Naomi. She said, forget about my well-being. I want to do what is right. I'm not going to abandon you in your old age. That's what Ruth did. 
Did she plan all these things? That Jesus is going to come down. I'll do it. If, I'll do it if Jesus is going to come out from my line. If not, forget it. I don't know. What's gonna, what do I get out of it? There's not a, it's not a transactional kind of choice. It was just a choice based on what is right, what is noble, what is good, what she felt was the right thing to do. She did it out of love. Ruth. Not Mr. So-and-so. Boaz. I'll take you on. I'll take the burden. If you have ch- children, I'll give you my inheritance. Do you understand? That sacrifice. Mmm. And Obed. The trajectory of that line changed because of one person's choice. That's why we talk about Ruth. That's why we talk about Boaz. And we never talk about this guy except in a sermon, and his name is not even mentioned. It's a no name. It's just insignificant. It's a nobody. I don't want to let... And the Bible says he waited at the gate, and he knew exactly who he was. So he probably was known, and the elders knew who he was. He was known in the city. He was known on earth, but not in heaven. I don't know about you guys. And we really kind of understand what the greater picture is. What is happening in the spiritual realities? What our choices mean? Decision points, certain decisions, decisions at a sacrifice, offering to God. Those things can change the trajectory of everything. Can I show you one more thing and we'll end? I just talked to Calvin. He's the only one that said yes. Should I, can I show you one more thing? By the way, Calvin got healed of celiac disease. I was eating dinner with him and Jenny, and then Jenny's probably more happy than Calvin because Jenny's like, now we could eat! Because he was ordering some gluten-free noodles, and I went, I mean, he was ordering gluten noodles, and I was thinking, wait a minute, you have celiac. Yeah, he, he was eating like gluten noodles, and I went, but do you have celiac? I was thinking in my mind, but I don't know. I don't want to get. And then he said, oh, yeah, by the way, I got my blood test, and I don't have celiac anymore. Huh, what? He just said it no nonchalantly, and like, yeah, I think it's because people pray for me. They've been praying for me. And then Jenny's been interceding and fasting. <laughs> Please let my future husband be able to eat gluten. I guys know that's a good thing. That's a God thing. Amen? So can you put to the other genealogy? I just, because of Calvin, just kept looking at me, so. See the genealogy of Abraham? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Levi. Do you see that line? You guys see that line? So Genesis 13, we see Abraham and Lot. They separate. Lot chooses Sodom, it gets destroyed. And Lot also has been kept. There's like wars in the region where he's at. There's rumors of wars and wars and kings are fighting and he gets captured. And Abraham, I don't know how he does it. Somehow he goes, get, get, he goes up against these kings and he rescues Lot. The Bible doesn't tell us. Abraham just said, oh, I got to rescue my family. And he goes and he fights these kings and he saves Lot. It's weird. This little shepherd, how does he do it? Because God. 
Abraham honors God. And so we see in Genesis 14. You guys want to turn to Genesis 14? I want to show you something good. Genesis 14. Now, this is after the defeat. After his return from the defeat, Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shebez. And Melchizedek, everybody say Melchizedek. The king of Salem, everybody say Salem, brought out bread and wine. Sound familiar? Now, out of nowhere, this king comes, Melchizedek, this, this like mystical king. And there is no Salem. It's just kind of made up, but it actually is talking about the future city of Jerusalem, the new Salem. That's what Jerusalem means. Salem is Shalom. He's the king of peace. So Melchizedek, he's the king of peace. Brings out bread and wine. is foreshadowing Jesus. He is our king. He is the high priest who brings out the bread and wine. And he blessed him, said, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And King Melchizedek is saying, You know, you won because of God. And then... Here's where the tithing, institution of tithing comes in. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, but take goods for yourself. And then he goes on, so forth and so forth. So Abraham gives a tenth of everything. Now everybody turn to Hebrews 7. You guys okay? I'm going to end with this. It's very interesting to me. Hebrews 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. Not just one king, kings. This one guy killed kings, defeated enemies, and blessed him, and said to him, and said to him, Abraham, a por- and, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So Abraham gave this king of Salem, Melchizedek, tenth, gave an offering. Say, thank you for allowing me to rescue my family members, and to destroy all these kings. He is the first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also the king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He is without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to be a priest forever. The Hebrew writer is saying, this Melchizedek, was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and the descendants of Levi who receives the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from the brothers though these are also descendants of Abraham. This is why we pay people who are full-time pastors because of what Abraham did. 
is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior in the one case tithes are received by mortal men but in the other case by one of whom it is testified that he lives one might even say now this is an important verse verse 9 one might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid tithes through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him wow where's Levi Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. Three generations down. The Bible says when Abraham gave an act, sacrificial offering to this king, Melchizedek, who was Jesus, Abraham sacrificed, honored God, and said, I will follow you. I've defeated, I've been blessed, and I've defeated my enemies, and I've rescued my family members. I changed the trajectory of my family line because of you, king of peace, king of Salem, who is my high priest, I gave you, I'm giving you my offering. I'm sacrificing. I'm giving you a tenth. Abraham, and he has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and there's Esau. Esau is another foreshadowing of a Mr. So-and-so who calculated everything for himself, self-preservation. But Jacob then has, through Leah, has Levi. That's three generations. The Bible says when Abraham gave a tenth to this king of Melchizedek, who is Jesus? He gave a tenth. He's saying it was counted to Levi. The Bible is saying Levi was giving the offering even though Levi was just a sperm. I don't know. You guys understanding what I'm trying to say? What Abraham did was counted generations down. What Abraham did and his act of sacrifice was counted to Levi. Generations down. I just wanted to let you know, your actions, your choices are counted generations down. What you give and what you offer to the Lord Jesus now, it may not, it may not, if you have a transactional mentality, you're like, where's my payoff now? How come my life is like this? Where's my payoff? I'm giving my tithes. I'm giving my time. I'm giving my resources. I don't get, I don't get no return. Where's my return? The Lord is saying, it's not just going to be in heaven. It's going to be generations down. Your great-great-grandchildren are going to benefit from what you are doing right now. Why do you think I keep doing this every single week? Because I know my great-great-grandchildren. No pressure, son. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be walking around going, why? Why am I getting this? It's because they're going to say, their grandfather's going to say, and their grandfather's going to say, and it's going to be passed down. It's your great 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 grandfather who set the trajectory of our family line by giving an offering every single day at Rain City in their lives in Africa in South America in Korea traveling out of their own pocket sacrificing when they didn't want to I don't feel like it I don't want to leave my family all those things are counted for do you understand me That's why I do it. 
just know that God is a God of faithfulness. Lot chose Sodom, and after Abraham said, I guess I got the leftover, and God said, you've chosen wisely. Look as far as your eye can see. Not just what you see now. As far as your eye can see, north, south, east, west, all of it belongs to you. You have chosen wisely. Let's rise. My exhortation today to you is choose wisely. Decisions matter. Not only are you doing battle, things that you do now, even the insignificant things, could count towards something great. You don't know who's going to benefit from that single act of obedience. I only have like this much. You don't know what God is going to do with that this much. Make good choices. Yeah, I, just even little things. You know, when I sometimes like, I just always, I'm always aware that God is watching me. You know, sometimes I, I like to play basketball with garbage, you know, like, and then I miss the garbage can. And it's outside, like it's East Hastings area or something, and there's like garbage everywhere, right? So what's one more can? I want to walk out, and I feel the Lord's conviction. But I'm watching you. If you don't honor this city, who's going to honor it? But it's just me. It's just one can. But that action could come towards something. He's watching. So I go over there. And I'm like, I should pick up this can, put it in recycling, and then, oh, there's another. I, guess, yeah. I, I end up like cleaning up the area. I'm like, oh, shoot, I just. Then people, do you understand? If nobody cares, they're like, why are you doing that? It, does, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it for the fame of people here. I'm doing it for somebody else who is a rewarder of faith. Rewarder of faith, maybe not just in your lifetime, but for generations to come. God is the God of redemption. If you've had failures in your past, you can turn it around. That's the good news. Make good choices now. So lift up your hands. Lift up your holy hands. Make good choices. Don't let feelings, emotions, self-doubt, identity issues get you get you into trouble and make bad choices. Renew your mind. Obey the Lord out of obedience to Christ, knowing that He's a good God. He's a rewarder of faith from generations down. He's a tri-generational God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He just doesn't live, He doesn't live in your realm, just your life. He lives in generations down. Things have ripple effects. Make good choices. Do what is honorable, what is right, what is true, what is good. Despite societal pressures, choose right, choose truth. We're going into a season where people call evil good and good evil. You're going to feel more pressure, but choose what is right. God will honor you. 
stand for what is right, what is true, God will honor you. So we just honor you, Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory. Make us, cause us, convict us to make good choices. That life is not just about us. It's about you and about generations to come. My family line. Thank you, Lord. Make good choices. I just feel like I want to just do a special one-minute prayer for people who feel like, like, oh man, my family line is just messed up and I'm messing up. I messed up my family tree. I don't know. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe, you've come, maybe you have parents who've like, you can see patterns in your life. You see, boy, I got financial troubles. My grandmother had that. My great-grandmother had that. And we got separation in our family. We got people robbing us. Man, we got sickness and disease. It's just being passed down. It's not just science or genetics. It's spiritual. You want to break that today? You don't have to work it. You just have to believe it. So put your hand on your heart. Your heart is not a seed of just emotions. It's a seed decision place. It's the, it's the place of ch choices and decisions. Put your hand on your heart. And lift up your other hand as a sign of surrender and trust to God. Now repeat after me. So I don't want to highlight anybody. But I, I just want all of us to do it regardless so that people feel comfortable. Just repeat after me. And do it with conviction. Father God. You are my king. Thank you for all that you've done for me. I give you my life. I trust you with my life. I give you my life as an offering, as a sacrifice, as a sweet fragrance to you. I trust my future in your hands. And now, Lord, I pray that you will cancel all assignments on my family line. We cast out any curses, any demonic forces that have been living for generations in my family. I cancel financial troubles, health issues, relational issues. And I feel like there's been relational issues in your family, people fighting, brothers and sisters not talking, divorce. I just come against that in Jesus' name. Say, I come against that in Jesus' name. I change the trajectory of my family. I want to align it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the story of Ruth. That I can change the trajectory of my life and the life of my offsprings. My great-grandchildren will be blessed because of the choice I'm making now and the choices that I'll make in the future.
thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Isn't that good? It's good to declare, man. It's good to agree with the Lord. You're like, oh, I just did a prayer, that's it? Yeah, that's called the gospel. And it's up to you, we'll live it out. Just pray every day and make good decisions. And then when you make a bad decision, repent. That's what repentance means. Go back and declare again. Amen? I don't know how many times I've repented in my life. Hundreds and hundreds. Just to keep a line to the family line, to the line of Jesus Christ. Be grafted into the kingdom family. Amen. Bless you guys. I'll see you guys next week. If you guys feel like you need a little special extra prayer for your family line or you want me to help you, just get rid of that thing really, really good. Come and uh, receive prayer. But other than that, bless you guys. Have a great long weekend. I'll see you next week. Let's give a shout. Amen. Woo!